As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Trevor Dykes, sound designer responsible for games such as The Banner Saga, The Forest, Paperbark, and Alain Noir. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Trevor. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's been a it's been a busy few weeks, but uh, everything's everything's good now. So how about yourself? Yeah, keep keeping pretty well. Busy as always, but keeping pretty well. Lots of lots of podcasts. Podcasts, guests coming in the door. We've just recently moved into a new house, so there's been a lot of unpacking. You will be able to see probably in the the background of my camera here. Sorry, listeners. There's boxes and rubbish everywhere at the moment. This is kind of the study that's also a dumping ground at present you'll be seeing there's box copies of earthbound and other uh, other sort of bits and pieces in there as well i was about to say i can see a super nintendo cartridge box but i couldn't figure out what game it was so that's what you're looking there and this i picked this up when i was on my honeymoon in paris this is secret of mana 2 a game that was never released for the west um it was uh but it is in english so fans um uh there was a fan translation and then someone decided we'll just pop it on a Super Nintendo cartridge and then sell it. So that's exactly what I found while I was in Paris, and now I've got myself an English boxed cartridge version of a game that never actually made it to the West. That's amazing. So I'm pretty happy with that one. It's, it was a good get. I nearly lost my mind when I saw it then, and the wife was quite <laughs> confused. To yeah, the point no, where, no, hang no, on, no. we've been on a honeymoon for a week and a half now, and this is the most excited you've been, so what? <laughs> but, Priorities, anyway. what, are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is Dev Diary, a series where I sit down with developers from all around the industry and they share their stories and uh, what it's taken to get to the point that we're now at. And Trevor, we're going to kick things off by asking the same question that we usually ask, and you have spoken about how you've listened to past episodes, so I think you probably know what's coming. What was your first gaming experience that you recall? I was actually just about, this is is an amazing segue. Um, I was just about to say, like on my desk, I've actually, uh, and I'll show you, like I've got my original Game Boy. Oh, Um, nice. So talking about first gaming experiences, like this, there's probably ones that are earlier than this because like my dad had like a Commodore 64 and and things like that. But the one I can really remember and I've still got the unlabeled copy of Tetris in there because the label came off. Um, but being it's at school still with, the game. This, um, with my Game Boy and just playing Tetris and like linking up uh, consoles with, with friends and playing things like Super Mario and tennis on the Game Boy, like they're the really original, uh, like kind of the traditional and the, the moments where I was kind of like, all right, this is a thing. I really like these things. And that was like probably the, the easiest one I can remember at the moment. And you talk about linking up so... If you're talking about linking up, you're just talking about linking up people. You're talking about linking up systems because then no. I instantly thought, yeah. oh, does that mean you're talking about Pokemon as well? Or the systems, like it's like, yeah, you used to have the um, what are they called, the link cables or something? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, the link cable. Yeah, so you'd link up the actual Game Boys to to another person's Game Boy and play like multiplayer Tetris. And I never really got into Pokemon. Like I, I've tried the new ones and like I've got I played Pokemon Go with uh, with some friends, but it just never never grabbed me. Doesn't quite click. 
Yeah, like, I mean, I totally appreciate and totally get it, but it was just never one of those, um, I kind of missed the Pokemon boat. They have a particular audience, and that's that's totally yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what were those early gaming days like? What other sort of experiences did you migrate to potentially after those the likes of Tetris and whatnot on the Game Boy? I think probably the, the most defining ones for me were the point-and-click adventures. Um, so things like the Sierra games and the, yep. uh, you know, like... Um, Space Quest, Quest, yeah, LucasArts, like um, Full Throttle and Day of the Tentacle and Grim Fandango, uh, they were like childhood defining games and uh, I used to always um, have to go through the config files on my dad's computer to try and free up more memory to get those to to work and then I'd forget to set it back and when he'd try and do work on it, things wouldn't work that he needed, so... It was kind of like a, a seesaw of having to mod his computer and the system files to get that stuff to work. But uh, yeah, point quick adventures um, and definitely like growing up, I, the SNES was was a huge console um, for me. So games like Shadowrun and uh, the Zelda games and, you know, the Mario games, they were, um, they were all kind of uh, like childhood defining games. Probably... Definitely sounds like we were brought up in a similar sort of era with similar sorts of games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It means you've got excellent taste. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, we can just finish up the interview now. Like, just sort of yeah, we'll just, we'll just wax about old games yeah. and have a great time. <laughs> were there any particularly prominent ones for you over over the years? At the beginning, through two teenage years or, yeah, or whatever? Two, um, probably the, the strongest memories I've got, like, of games or ones that probably had a lot to do with me ending up doing what I what I do uh, was um, the original Fallout for me. Yep. Um, that just, I don't know why, but that, that game just did something um, to me. Like, it just felt really, really different to everything I was playing at the time. And just the, the setting and the atmosphere uh, just really, really clicked with me and kind of, like, made me really start thinking about, oh, how do these things work like instead of like how how do i play the game it became about more like what puts all these things together um so definitely fallout um as well as uh the original half-life like i'll I'll never forget the moment of when i got uh saved up all my money went and bought a uh 3d graphic decelerator card put it in the computer loaded up half-life and i was just like wow games can never get better than this they will never ever look better than this so, and then half-life 2 came along and... yeah i know so but <laughs> eventually I, yeah half-life was amazing like the ai in that game um like i remember being flanked and the the soldiers throwing back grenades and things like that and it was just that was something that i've never really experienced before so they're probably like two of the most um defining moments in terms of uh in terms of games so obviously you're talking about how they were kind of important moments and maybe even steered you a little bit towards this current day were they among the games that kind of steered you towards the current day where you are and for those of you unfamiliar yet a sound designer was, did they have any sort of bearing at all yeah definitely i think it's like particularly like fallout has an amazing soundscape to it um but i think particularly with half-life it just it just has these tones to it that kind of really just like that whole game just felt like it was it was just complete just interactive sci-fi and um, the sounds in that game were just amazing. And it just kind of, like, I'm sure everything I played um, was pushing me towards that direction, but it was also like movies, like, you know, Star Wars movies. And 
yeah. um, growing up being obsessed with music and, and the guitar, it was kind of like if I wasn't doing something with music or a microphone, I was playing video games. So at, at some point it was kind of like, hang on, I can, I can put these things together and I can kind of, you know, do sound design or technical sound design. So I think all of that stuff kind of uh, went through a filter and ended up kind of pushing me towards where I am now. Coming together in this beautiful little yeah, package that is really, yeah, the really sound design career. Moment, yeah. <laughs> and and how did that kind of how did that click? Because I mean, I've I've had what, about fifteen or so guests on at this particular point, and I mean, you're the first that I've had into that's actually focused on uh, the audio side of games. And I've you know I've had people talk about their modding days, and they modded a game, and all of a sudden programming became very familiar, and I've you know art and how that segued across the sound um how did how did that how did you uh land on i guess in some ways the audio side actually being you know how did you decide fiddling with that was going to be the the best pathway yeah i think it it For was you. probably a couple of things and i think uh it was probably mostly like when um i can't remember how old i was but uh mum and dad like really noticed that i was doing a lot of stuff with either my guitar and microphones and things like that so just recording really kind of crappy versions of things and um they ended up uh for like a birthday or christmas or something getting me like a four track recorder um so for people that aren't aware of what they are it's kind of like a a tape deck that you can record on but you can record multiple layers of things um yeah so that was really when i started experimenting just kind of um plugging in a microphone and just going okay cool what happens if i record this and what happens if i record that and play it over what i previously recorded and um kind of making weird monster sounds with my mouth and things like that and like that was really when i started experimenting just just with sound and just with audio in general and um i think it was always the thought that like i would have loved to do something within games and to to develop games and work on games but as i was growing up and when i was going through um school and things like that like i never really knew what the pathway into that actually was so um i kind of did what a lot of people do is i went and did it and things like that and then just ended up um working at a retail job for for quite a while and managing um some stores and things like that uh until i just got so sick of that job and uh, like went back to uni um, and ended up doing a, an interactive development degree. Uh, I mean, and, I can understand that. I hear retail does that to a few people. Oh, so. it's, I'm amazed <laughs> I can still talk to people without having just like flashbacks. So um, it's, yeah, so I was kind of going back and just saying, you know, this is it. I, I want to I wanna do audio and I want to do it within games and I want to kind of figure out the pathway into doing that and uh, so yeah I went back and, and studied and as I was going through that degree like I was I kind of became the, the game audio guy during that degree so um, yeah, okay. working on everyone's projects and whenever people were up there pitching you know systems and mechanics it was kind of like well what's what's the sound going to do in that and i was kind of like always pushing that to be uh as much in the forefront as i as i could and um after i did that i just ended up getting a couple of uh freelance contracts for some like mobile games so one of the first projects yep. i actually worked on was a radio play 
um, but it was an interactive radio play that was all web-based. So it was kind of like a, a choose your own adventure where you can pick different options and different scenarios would play out. Um, yeah, okay. Which was a, a really amazing project to be part of. Um, and it's, you know, it involved everything from recording the casts to doing the sound design for everything that was putting behind it. So it was kind of like a, a really old school process, but um, it was for like a new version of that media. Um, and that ended up getting quite a lot of traction and uh, got some really, really good feedback. And it kind of just kind of just went from there, to be honest, which is, um, which is good. I, that sounds excellent. So there was a period, and just in terms of the the education you went through to get to that mm. point, uh, there was a period at Holmes, Holmes Glen TAFE and uh, Quantum? When I was, yeah, so when I was, um, I went, when I went to TAFE, that was just for IT, and that was a long time ago. That was just when I was kind of like, all right, you know, I like computers. I'll study computers and kind of do this stuff. But uh, yeah, the degree was when I went to uh, Quantum, which is now um, SAE. And uh, so, what were you actually focusing on there? Was that was it a broader thing? Like, was it kind of games design overall? Whether you then focused or yeah, that was games design. Uh, so that's what the major was in, um, and that's where I was mentioning before. Like, I kind of became the game audio guy. That was during that that degree. So okay, great. Um, which was which was really cool because we ended because that's obviously a, a university that does both audio and uh, and games. Um, so it was good to be able to, to mix those two disciplines and kind of um, and push that as far as I could. That's awesome. And now it's also transitioned to a period where you were also lecturing over at Quantum as well. Yeah, yes. SA. Yeah. So shortly after, um, myself and one of the other students there uh, were asked to basically go back and, and do some lecturing and some tutoring there um, part-time. So uh, that was... That, it was really, you obviously get a very different experience um, from being a student yep. and then being, a, you know, as you know yourself and being a, a teacher as, the as teacher, well. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a really good experience. And like, it was the, the thing that I'm probably most proud of there is like, I, I think I really pushed um, the audio departments in the sound and the, uh, the game departments in terms of like staff to, to work um, more in unison. So uh, what we ended up doing with a lot of the the studio um, classes that I was the facilitator for is we'd actually have students from the audio degrees uh, that were really interested in working on games. They'd actually come and sit in on the the game design uh, classes and the um, the final projects. The students would actually all work together. Um, yeah. Okay. And they'd have access to the studios that were there, and uh, was I think it, you know. Things were always can be improved, but I think it went as well as it, it could at that point in time. I mean, there's no real harm in that cross pollination anyway between the not two, at all, and like the it's two a, faculties. And... Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's really important. That's why I really wanted to push it so much, is because you know they they need to get used to working with programmers. They need to be used to working with animators and, and artists and designers. And same thing for all of the the games discipline people. They need to be used to talking to audio people as well. Um, and you know, like uni, any any type of education is the perfect time to to make mistakes because you know, yeah, hundred percent doesn't really it's when you learn best. Hopefully, cost that much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I getting all those disciplines working together, especially I've I've ha- spoken to a few people that have you know been in the games business at this point, and they've all spoken about how they didn't understand how all these different pieces would come together until they finally got out of whatever their course was or just out there into the business. Um, and it was only then when they go, oh my God, like I've got to coordinate all these other bits and pieces. Yeah. Some of those are more the business aspects as well. Yeah. But um, 
So I, anything that's kind of get, uh, helping people develop that exposure nice and early whilst they're still learning um, only bodes well, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like it's it's kind of, it's like any role, like I think I've always, and it's one of the big things that I said to a lot of people that would come up and be like, oh, you know, so what should I be looking at doing in terms of trying to get into game audio? And it's kind of like, all right, you need to learn implementation. That's the that's the first thing I'll say because it's it's an interactive art form. It's, it's so different to what movies are and to what music is like. It's just, it's not linear. So from the most part, it's not linear. And um, the, the biggest thing I tried to push was, you know, getting in middleware like FMOD or, um, or WISE, which are like uh, the game audio side of game engines. Um, and that's where it would be really worth uh, them putting their time into and kind of getting used to the idea that repetitive sound will just completely break a gaming experience and so it was just really about pushing what's different in terms of games compared to to what they might have been doing previously yeah that makes sense um so throughout your time as a sound designer you've you've worked on a few different projects i made a few little notes of like la noir in vr you've got uh, the forest banner saga two and three armello a township tale um there's a few different titles you've been working on over the journey at a few different um location so far you want to talk a little bit about the games the the businesses you've been at yes so all of those were done through uh, a studio that i was working at at the time um so basically what that would mean is we'd basically be brought in to work on uh audio for those projects um i think is that sound play sorry sound play or no no uh, that was that was when i was doing freelancing so back with the the radio plays and things like that that was uh done through sound play interactive um yeah all the newer stuff was through kapow audio um and the two people that put together kapow audio were the original sound team for elena so for the actual original um ps3 some ex-team bondi people yeah yeah ex-team bondi so uh both michael and perrette were on were the sound team there uh, so yeah, ended up working on the VR version for it. Um, but I think probably the first project that I worked on through Kapow would be um, The Forest. So that's why I was brought into the studio to work on that. Um, and then after that, it ended up being uh, the Banner Saga 2, which then turned into Banner Saga 3 as well. Yep. So yeah, lots of games and kind of, it's one of those things where you look back and you're like, wow, okay. It's kind of quite a few titles there and like it's if i go through my my directory on my computer and it just feels like it feels like it's been five minutes um but and yet, and yet in reality yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's a, it's a decent list of titles you've been working on in yeah ultimately a fairly short space of time when you think about it yeah um obviously sound design is a very broad um title mm-hmm. uh what sort of what what does the day-to-day look like when you're working on any or any or all of those different titles kind of like it, it comes down to what the project is um but i mean like if like a, a general day will be anything from uh designing if it's a newer project it might be you're actually doing like system design for audio yep. so um that could be anything from you might be figuring out the player's footsteps and how that's going to react to materials in the world what type of materials you need yep um loading in audio so there might only be uh and that's more like a technical back end there may only be sounds that you need to hear at a specific part of the game so you might be figuring out how you're going to load in audio and then get it out of the memory in the game so that you know performance isn't affected too much 
Uh, it could be uh, like for paperback, it could be going camping and, and recording um, ambience overnight because that was uh, it's such an Australian-based game. We wanted to really capture um, that theme for it. So just basically camping overnight. Yeah, I have to say in the case of paperback, that, uh, yeah, the the actual ambience that you're talking about there was that was fantastic and obviously yeah you're d- describing now how it came to be and that it was actually you going out there and recording those yeah things. yeah so that makes a lot more sense all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it was there was a really big thing that uh that michael from kapow who was uh doing most of the audio for that really wanted to to push and um it was just a, a really good excuse to go camping as well which was which was great but i mean like we've, we've had so much feedback um about how well people responded to like you're saying just the audio for that then it kind of goes to show when audio is brought in uh earlier or you have time to to plan as well as possible um it can really have um a strong payoff it can really make a really strong connection with people in games as well yeah of course so how like we we've obviously discussed a few different games so far and many of them are quite drastically different how do you get yourself in the the mind uh, the right mind space for a particular game and maybe a particular setting or tier, like or environment those sort of things how do you kind of switch back and forth because i mean i'd imagine you you know you speak about paper bark and you're going out to the bush basically and you're recording what you hear but uh there's obviously some very fictional uh very very fictional sort of locations in a few of those different games yeah, how do you yeah. kind of get in that space to really imagine what that's going to be like um it's it can be, it can, honestly, it's, it can probably be one of the harder parts of the project, particularly if you're working on multiple projects at a time. Um, You'd be switching back and forth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like you're, you're alt-tapping your brain. So it's uh, yeah, okay. probably the easiest thing that, that worked for me is defining like key pillars of what sounds or, or what elements I'm working on a game should be. So say like with the forest, um, it was like we wanted it to, to be as realistic as we could. Um, for me, it was really about kind of drawing from the thousands and thousands of horror movies that I watched as I was growing up. So that was quite an easy one to, to slot back into with the, the elements I was working on with that game. Um, but for Banner Saga, um, that one was kind of like all right it needs to be really descriptive and it needs to reinforce what's happening in the world yeah. and it needs to obviously there's a very specific theme within those games and um the everything that was happening like from the game design to the audio needed to really reinforce those themes so um i really found yeah creating those pillars uh for each project and just going back and having reference files or like a mood board or something like that where i'd be like yep. those are the things that that inspire me and so if i ever was sitting here getting stuck about uh something or i kind of felt like a sound i was working on wasn't going anywhere um they'd be the things that i that i'd draw back on for sure excellent yeah i, I was certainly curious as, and i was I was unsure whether you were juggling, I mean, I suppose, given the number of projects you've managed to juggle in the short space of time, I imagined you probably were juggling a few simultaneously, but yeah. I was quite interested to see how that would actually work because, yeah, I would imagine there'd be a very specific space that you feel like you need to be in for a specific sort of game. Yeah, so then juggling multiple yeah. of those at any given moment would be tricky, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like another good thing that was really good about it was you, you'd obviously like define days in the week where you're like, all right, those days are for that project so you can 
because you can't just alt tab straight over to something and be back in the zone like you need yeah. time to to kind of get back there um so kind of planning for it and uh and just kind of adjusting schedules and things like that to allow for it was always a helpful thing as well now amongst all those different projects you've also received a few award nominations over the journey uh um, yeah, yeah yeah the the uh, gang or the the game audio network guild yep. you've received two am i correct different nominations for your different works there yeah so uh the first one was for banner saga 2 uh and yeah the second one was for for um la noir for the, the vr version so it was uh um what was the sort of company that you were in in those uh, uh in those particular years? What, I'm, tr- I'm, tr- I'm trying to get my head in the right space for when banner saga 2 came out for example and i can't totally think about what some of the other games were in that year but i, I mean the standard is pretty high these days so yeah, you're in some good company I'm- there I've actually, it's horrible, but I've forgotten about what the other ones were. I remember for LA Noir, though, we were up against uh, the VR version of Resident Evil 7. And as soon as, um, as, soon as I saw it, because I was, I was at GDC for, for one of them being announced. And yep. as soon as I just saw those, it was enough for me to see the work we've done, like being projected amongst like the, the audio community. But um, when they're like, you know, calling out Resident Evil 7 and then they call out like LA Noir VR, it's kind of, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty rewarding moment for sure. Yeah. I mean, being alongside something like say Resident Evil 7, that's, that's some good company to be. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I, I guess the good thing about the, uh, the, the gang awards as well as it's, uh, the nominations are from within the game audio community as well. So it's, um, it, it kind of feels like you're being pushed up a little by the people, you know. By your peers. Yeah, not competition, but yeah, peers as well. So it's always a, um, it's a really rewarding thing for sure. Um, so more recently, and oh, as of, I guess, the last couple of weeks, really, yeah. uh, you're, you're departing Kapow at the moment. Yes. Um, I'll, I'll leave that kind of in your head <laughs> so you can kind of say as much or as little as you like in that particular regard. But uh, what... What? Where do you see that going from here? Um, uh, what, what, what's it, next? It's uh, like it's one. It's just the realities of business, really. So it's um, it's just one of those things where, unfortunately, the the time has come up. Um, we're all we're all on fine terms and everything, which is good. But um, as to where it where it leads next, um, I don't know yet. To be honest, like there's there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot that I'd like to aim for. Like I'd love to uh, consider um, like in-house roles and things like that. But unfortunately, um, within when you get into the really, really uh, specific game discipline um, areas like audio or writing, and you know even things like production and stuff like that, uh, it can be quite hard to get um, in-house roles within Australia. So just yeah. due to the scale of the industry. Um, Has there been any thought at any point throughout the career, not even necessarily more recently, to potentially uh, explore options internationally? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, and there's plenty of hotspots within the world at the moment these days. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's something considering? Yeah, absolutely. And like there's there's been, a, ever since I, I kind of posted that um, that I was actually finishing up at Kapow, I've had uh, a few people reach out. So there's... Um, there's definitely some seeds at the moment, but as to where they um, as to where they go, uh, it remains to be seen. Unknown at the moment, yeah. But it's uh, at the same time, it's uh, it is it's scary, but it's also really exciting because it's like one of those things. Where it's like, all right, this is the the kind of card that I've been dealt in this specific situation, uh, and I just need to to make the most of it and, and kind of see where it takes me. And I'm kind of a uh, 
nervously excited about it. Um, because, yeah, some of those international gigs, I mean, obviously I'm not going to try and flush out any of the names <laughs> there, but I assume there might be a few enticing names amongst the... Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, those that, yeah. there's definitely a couple of uh, ones where I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's uh, that's exciting. And again, like nothing may, may ever come from it, but... No, of course. Um, it's always uh, just one of those things, the fact that that person at least thought that, uh, you know, thought to message you or to be like, hey, you know, we, we might want to get in touch to have a chat. That's, um, it's an exciting prospect for sure. Have there been any, and this, this, these are not connected, so I'm not trying to flush anything out, I promise. Have there, uh, there any particular people within the industry that you've really looked at in terms of influences over the journey? People have really inspired the way you've approached sound design? Uh, yeah, for sure. So uh, there's, I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce his surname wrong. So I, I'm really, really sorry in advance, Damien. Uh, but Damien uh, Kaspauer, who uh, he's a technical sound designer and he's basically, he's literally written the book on technical sound design. So an actual book. Yeah. He's got two books out Excellent. and uh, he's just, it's, I think like if there was anyone where I could say like I looked up to the work they do um, as well as just how they, they work within the community as well because um, yeah. like anything within games it's a it's a it's a small community and everyone pretty much knows of everyone or, or most uh, of each other and uh, it's the work that Damien does and the way that he just seemingly just continues to adapt and to uh, and to learn is like a huge inspiration um, and it always has been for me uh, for some of the listeners, just in case they're not familiar with Damien, what sort of work has Damien uh, um, he's, he's, produced in the past? Uh, he's been at ArenaNet, ArenaNet, sorry. Um, oh, yep. so ArenaNet. Uh, ArenaNet. Darry, I've done that plenty of times myself <laughs> as well. Uh, he's been at, I think he was on Plants vs. Zombies as well. Uh, but there's, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head all the other ones, but it's a, it's a really, really um, long list. But I think it's pretty safe to say he's, he's mostly worked at uh, quite a lot of the, the major studios. Yeah, okay. That, I mean, look, I, I you mentioned Plants vs. Zombies and I think instantly about... I, I have a very vivid idea of the different sound effects and the music and several other different audio aspects of that game. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and that... I, I The fact that I can just recall it, that clearly instantly tells me that, okay, the guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, like, so, obviously, like, he, he works within in teams and things like that as well, but it's, it's that's the power of uh, of sound to me. It's kind of like you can go up to someone and you'd be like, all right, hum the Mario theme song or, you know, hum a, a song from Zelda and what happens yeah. when you, you pick something up or a pickup is linked and, you know, you've got that da na na that comes up and... Um, I mean, if you ask me which song, like if you ask me to hum a song from Zelda, I'd say which one. But, um, <laughs> and that, that, so. that's the thing that I love about it. And like for me, like music, and this is nothing against composers at all. Like music's amazing, but uh, I, I love really, you know, the the new Doom's the perfect example. Like that game, like the soundtrack's amazing, but uh, the the sound effects in that game alone, you just if you play that it's, loud with headphones on, it's like you're constantly just being punched in the face. Like it was just so um, visceral. So, yeah, yeah, that always brings to mind for me. Yeah, so much impact to it, and um, it just you felt everything that you were doing in that game, and that to me is like the the power of sound for sure. Yeah, I have to say, using using your Doom exam, uh, 
Doom Scenario there as an example. Like people are very quick to praise Mick Gordon for doing a fantastic job with that soundtrack, and it it's awesome. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's I an mean, amazing um, GDC video that I think you can actually watch for free on yes, YouTube. Yes, you can. I actually, yeah. I feel like I think I watched it only just a few months ago. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it was really enlightening as someone who knows absolutely nothing about that side of the industry. Yeah, I was fascinated the whole way through. Yeah, it. and he just um, um, I, was, I was actually at that talk and just the way he he's so excited to talk about it and it just it's captivating it's absolutely captivating it was um it was an amazing experience and that that's one of the things about it though that music itself was it was gripping yeah but then yeah. what what does by i'd say still many get forgotten is actually how powerful as you're talking about the different sound effects were and like the the crunch that you get mm. from the combat that just it kind of reverberates in your head yeah, <laughs> on top yeah. of that music like those yeah. things seem to really work in sync um and it, it's a kind of an audio treat and if i mean i, I recall um before i played it it took me a little while i was just particularly busy in life at that particular period um and i didn't get to the game right away and a few people had already gone through and played and i said just do yourself a favor don't play through the tv put headphones yeah. on and just let yeah. that thing blow you away and i'm glad i did uh it, it took me a, a little bit back at first i kind of knew i was getting in into but i still think i underestimated it somewhat and yeah the, the combination of all those different audio aspects made for one hell of an experience absolutely um, it's kind of uh, like you look at something like overwatch as well and like the way that that game is like the, the sound design the way that that's designed to actually inform people as they're playing like from a multiplayer experience as well um, like it's it's getting to the point now where I think that the way they the way they phrase it, it, it was it is like the the sound should inform the players, and uh, yeah. it should inform the play and like that'll be like if a if someone on the opposing side like their power ups ready, you'll hear that louder than anything else that's going on or if someone's closer to you like it's all it all sounds really simple but the the work they they do behind the the scenes just to allow people to essentially be able to play by sound. Um, yeah, it's okay. just amazing, and it's uh, that's what I was saying before, like about how audio for games it's interactive, and it's all, it's about designing those systems, and that's where it's all um, fascinating for me, for sure. Uh, please indulge me on this one. So I'm p- looking to pick your brain a little bit here, uh, and I don't expect you to necessarily know the the intricacies of it because uh, this came from Mark Cerny, as in the lead architect of the PS4 slash PS5, but he was talking about 3D audio yep. in the the upcoming PS5. Um, and how it's apparently going to uh, 3D audio will redefine video game audio. I'm as a layman and not, not at all experienced uh, in that side of things. I'm I'm unsure how or why, and I'm wondering if you it's, know enough there to be able to kind of. And again, you obviously don't necessarily know the ins and outs of yeah, what the PS5 no, no, is going to be I, doing, I, I but as in <laughs> the con- the concept of 3D audio and what what fundamental difference that makes potentially to a, a an experience yeah it's it's kind of like when that was announced it's like you log into twitter or any kind of social media and like everyone in game audio is like what do they mean like audio is already kind of it's it's 3d in games already like you know there's there's positioning and things like that but uh it, it could be anything it could be sony um have developed their own kind of proprietary sound format that they might be doing specific things in terms of um 3d audio 
it could be the performance um, of 3D audio. Uh, like one of the things, and I think they, they mentioned in that, um, in that announcement was in the, in the generation from PlayStation 3 to PS4. Uh, there wasn't a huge leap in terms of the technology behind the audio in terms of the console. Yep. Uh, so it could be performance-wise, which means that uh, as, as developers, you can do a lot more with the audio. Uh, so that may be in terms of like what's happening in the, the positioning of the sound or how much how the memory is handled and things like that. That's that's where I'm probably thinking it's going to go. It's gonna well, it's gonna free up um, developers and, and uh, audio programmers to do um, really cool things, probably a little bit easier or more efficiently. Um, yeah. Okay. But again, it, it could be anything. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, obviously, we are wildly speculating yeah, here. Yeah, but, um, but I was I was really curious because when I when I heard you know I read the three D audio bit, I inst- the first thing that sprung to my mind was um, a game of only a couple what eighteen months twenty four months ago in Hellblade. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah, how they really yeah. emphasized that was something that was really emphasized headphones three D like this is the best way to do it. Is that kind of again speaking to a layman and presumably a bunch of us here uh, that are on the other end of this recording uh, is that kind of along that line uh, it, it could be like the way um, I still haven't actually had a chance to check out uh, Hellblade yet but the, the way that that was was done was using like binaural audio and they they had it from what it sounds like they had an incredible um, sound team and uh, and an audio program, programmer or programmers on that project and um, they won a lot of awards for it and rightly so from, from what I've heard and uh, it, it could definitely be down that line um, but it's just it's one of those things where it's kind of like you, you really really want to know what they're doing and you know like there's like Dolby Atmos has just come across on the uh, the Xbox One X and they did a lot yep. of really because um, that gives you hype as well as having um, like width, and uh, they did a lot of real. They made a lot of use of that with the latest um, two motor game. Um, and if so, if you have like Dolby Atmos equipped on the the Xbox One X and on headphones or a speaker system that you're running, um, you can make a lot more use in terms of the the bed of hype that you have within the the mix as well. And you know, there's some fascinating uh, documentaries that they've put out because they've really pushed that as well. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of really keen to see what they what they do, and like the the even more exciting thing is like what what are people going to actually do with it, which is which is always the exciting thing. Yeah, I think that's one of the more exciting bits about any introduction of new technologies. Okay, great, this this thing has these awesome new uh, delivers this capacity to do some awesome things, but when you get it into the hands of people and they can actually really start to fiddle with it and stretch it in ways that maybe wasn't initially intended, Absolutely. that's when you can start yeah. to get the real magic, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is yeah really quite interesting. I, as soon as we had this um, this recording session locked in, I'm like I need to ask you about this because <laughs> sound designer like talking about 3D audio, I don't understand what the hell it means. I've got someone here can who can dumb it down for me, I guess. Yeah, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully my wild speculations um helped. <laughs> well, that gives me a hell of a lot more insight into even what's going on now. So I wholly appreciate that. Um, so as we begin to wind things down a little bit, have there been any particularly valuable lessons that you've picked up along the way? Some things that have really resonated with you, um, whether they're things you've learned from other people or learning from failures or, or whatever it may be. Um, I think 
probably and you know this is something that, that a lot of people do talk about but um, learning from failures is, is like a really really important thing and it's kind of um, particularly with anything where you're creating something and that could be you creating um, a design document or creating concept art or anything just learning through failure but also iterating on something and just understanding that you know every game that's out there like it can be so easy for people that aren't aware about how games are made at all to just look at something and be like oh cool they had an idea and now there's a finished pro product yeah um but being uh being aware of you know that that sound or that uh visual asset or that animation was iterated and iterated and iterated until it got to the point of what the thing is that you're consuming and um, I think that's probably one of the, the bigger things for me, but it's also um, one of the biggest things, and this is something I've always really pushed within what I do, is just uh, working with other disciplines. Um, so if you're working on sounds for anything in a game or if you're working on anything in a game, is just drawing from other people and drawing from programmers, animators, artists, producers, writers, QA, um, and just Which links back to what you were talking about before, I guess, when it came to the, the time at um, uh, as lecturing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like drawing from that, that not only gives you more knowledge, but it informs how you go about things. So uh, you can then kind of take those learnings and add that into your workflow, into your pipeline. And it doesn't only make it easier to, to what you're doing, but it makes it easier for the team in general. And um, I think they're probably the, the two biggest things and just it's... It needs to be okay to fail as, as, as within an extent in projects and kind of just being open to, to that feedback of they're not attacking me. They're, they're kind of they're critically giving constructive feedback because everyone wants that thing to be as good as it can possibly be is a, is a good thing to get your head around quickly. Have there been any, um, you spoke, obviously you spoke about learning from failures. Have there been any particular ones that have really clicked and like uh, the things that you kind of think back on uh, as particular things that you've learned from yeah like definitely um within some of the the bigger projects there's been i mean like failures are it's kind of it can be kind of harsh word depending on what it is but there's always been things that just haven't worked as intended and yeah uh you know it might be something where you've spent weeks trying to get something working and you're kind of like all right cool ready to put it in and you commit it to a build and you know it was it was working fine locally but as soon as like a uh, a multiplayer environment gets introduced or if it gets put into a, a non-debug build um it just stops working or it doesn't work as it was originally intended and uh, i think they're the, the really good learning experiences because it informs you about how you uh you go about kind of trying to find the the issues that can potentially come up and also being uh, quickly able to, to respond to those elements as well. And so on the flip side, have there been any particular highlights or, or kind of favourite memories from along the way, whether that's the, the release of particular games you've worked on or just moments that have really, that, that light bulb moment? Um, have there been any of those along the way that really stick with you? Yeah, I think probably uh, the first moment like that that comes to mind would be uh seeing because the forest was an early access game so that you know even though yeah. i was working on it and it was out it wasn't there finished in terms of um uh credits and things like that for for quite a while but i remember um 
when the Banner Saga 2 first came out and I had some friends that grabbed it start sending me through just like screenshots and photos of my name in the in the credits and like it's such a it's such a small thing seeing your name like in writing but it kind of it really puts into perspective of like oh okay that that thing's finished now and that's that's my name like that's kind of like my official statement of being part of that thing and uh that was something that you know like i worked so even though i had uh like freelance titles and things like that under my belt like that was a really 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 special one and then um uh the forest when the credits ended up going in for that having an audio programming credit in that was uh was incredibly uh motivating and special as well because like going through school like earlier school um maths was never my thing programming was was never my thing and so um going through so many uh iterations of learning programming like just self-taught and having a um, a credit on a game that actually stated you you did programming on on a thing um was was really really special yeah i could understand it being quite satisfying there's plenty of things yeah, i'm sure. not that good at and uh would love to to finally nail them in that sort in a similar sort of way at some point um and any particular real challenges that you've that you've had to overcome um Obviously, I'd imagine the programming aspect, as you just spoke yeah, about, yeah, would be pro- one of those. The programming one was—I uh, was—I was actually really, really fortunate to um, to work with an incredible audio programmer, and uh, it was one of those really fortunate situations where I was able to take on things that were like slightly above where I was at. Um, but again, it was a—it was a safe environment to to work on those things and then iterate on them until they were they were working as intended and. Uh, that was an incredible learning experience. But in terms of uh, of challenges, um... is it is it that challenge? For example, like we spoke about before, of of juggling multiple projects at the same time and transitioning from headspace to headspace. Is that? Uh, yeah, like I think it can be. But I think like most of the the challenges can come from like outside factors. Like you know, like you're saying before, like life can get in the way of a of a lot of things and. Um, you know, I've had a, a couple of situations where we've had some pretty significant um, milestones coming up and like one of my parents have gotten quite sick and things like that. And just kind of yeah, okay. getting getting through those uh, those challenges and then kind of being able to kind of when when it's safe to, to pull you back into into working on those things. That was probably the more um, challenging aspect of, of doing things. So sometimes more those those grander scale things like the the whole work life balance and all yeah, those sorts yeah. of things and I mean, more like, than anything else. Yeah, and you know, like within within games, it can be uh, it can be quite difficult to to achieve that balance. And there's definitely be times where I where I haven't achieved that balance at all. Um, but I think it's becoming a more relevant topic, and it's becoming a lot more focused on in terms of um, how studios go about production, which is a uh, which is always good to say. Yeah, that big uh, crunch word is one that's coming up more and more these days, yeah. and there's a lot more emphasis being put on uh, workplace cultures and those sorts of things. And and even um, I've no, I've noticed more recently because uh, you know if if the conversation about crunch would emerge at a particular studio, one of the common responses coming back the other way is, well, no, it's it's a, it's their their passion means that they're they're spending more like extra hours in there, and and whilst you can absolutely understand it, I mean. Mm. Even even right now we're doing this recording at about oh we started at about eight o'clock yeah. at night or thereabouts. Yeah. It's going on nine o'clock at this particular point, yeah. um, and that's 
you know passion about your jobs or whatever yeah. it is that you're trying to pursue or chase it is one of those things that can quickly add up and become it's um can get away from you yeah exactly and i think like that's some of it can be a really gray area and you know like there there's certainly been cases of when it's like no we have to we have to do additional hours to get this done um or there's elements where like you were just saying it's like no this 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 isn't good enough like i need to i need to get this to the point where i'm hearing it in my head and i'm not gonna settle until that's done but um, I think like you were mentioning just before how that can really easily turn into a, a pattern and that can that can run away from you. But I think the the really important part there is the people that you're working with and particularly the people um, that, are, that, that may be working above you, like any directors and things like that. Um, if they note on those things and they identify when they are becoming um, concerning issues or where they could become an issue, uh, that's where a lot of it can hopefully be um, be turned around, but it's it's kind of it's a culture thing as well. Like you need to get people uh, ready to look at those things and identify them outside of just getting stuff done. Yeah, no, I think uh, culture in any in any workplace, games or not, is an important thing. If you get that down pat, then everyone's got everyone's best interests at heart, mm. whether they're upper management or um the the cleaning guy like yeah exactly. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter yeah. what it is everyone's on the same page and everyone's looking out for one another so yeah. Yeah. um i think it ultimately works out for the better of everyone and the project in time yeah for sure and like we you know seeing games that push the boundaries of technology is is amazing and seeing these you know some of the open world game that games now are just the scale of them is just terrifying like absolutely terrifying and uh it would it would be good if our people were were safe to make those. Yeah, understood. Um, so normally at this point, I'd be asking, what does the the future hold? But you're obviously in this this limbo sort of transition period yeah, at the moment. Certainly, yeah. Um, so I'll skip to my last question before we kind of wrap up and do some of the social bits and pieces. Um, if there and you you've listened to some of the past episodes, so you know probably know what this question is. Uh, is there a dream game that you wish that you could have been credit for, credited for? Um, one from the childhood, one from the modern day. There's no no conditions on this thing. Is there a game at all that you wish you could have been credited for? I I, I would love it. I th- it'd have to be something within the Fallout universe. I think it's just because those games have become so special to me. Um, you know, ever since like I was saying before playing the first game. Um, yeah, I'd probably say a, a Fallout game. Whether that is there one in particular that resonates with you? Is if just if I uh, kind of force force it upon you to <laughs> choose from your favorite child, sort of thing? Probably three, and I think that's yeah, okay. that was that was such a huge transition in the in the Fallout franchise um, because of the million different reasons. But uh, that that felt really unique to me, and the uh, yeah, it'd have to be three. Because it was the, it was that open world version of, of a Fallout game. No, good choice. So as we wrap things up, if uh, any of our listeners want to interact with you in any way yep. or um, uh, get a la- uh, the laundry list of all the different projects you've been working on or any of those sort of things, where would they be best to head? Uh, so I've just set up a, a website for um, job hunting reasons. So uh, trevordykes.com. Um, that will basically take you straight to just my essentially a portfolio page 
um, but that has uh, links to some of the, uh, like a talk that I gave at GCAP recently and, uh, and, and portfolio elements as well as a contact form if people did want to get in touch with me, uh, as well as uh, Twitter, just um, at Trevor Dax as well. And one of those things is I'm always happy to talk to anyone, um, regardless of what it's about in terms of game development. Um, always happy to talk to people to give any advice or suggestions that I can. Um, and yeah, particularly with game audio as well. Like that's obviously where my, my passion lies and my experience lies. Uh, so if anyone's looking at uh, kind of getting into that thing or just has some questions in general, I'm more than, more than happy to talk. That sounds great. And I'm sure there'll be someone out there that uh, does a few someones, I'd imagine, actually probably will do a bit of digging and um, undoubtedly look at some of those games that you've worked on in a different light once they come to understand a little bit about what we've just been talking about today. Yeah, for sure. So thank you very much, Trevor, for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been, for me personally, really enlightening to, to learn a lot about sound design and, and how you fit into into that bigger picture. Um, and I think speaking on everyone on behalf of everyone listening, I hope the, the job hunt goes well. I hope you can land that uh, in-house gig that maybe is the, the dream. Um, hopefully one of the, a few of those people that were that have already reached out to you are able to, to come through yeah. <laughs> um, and and good luck with the, the job hunt and everything that follows going forward yeah thank you like I mean it's obviously it's uh, it's thank you for having me on it's, uh, it's always a good experience to talk about um, doing what you, you do on a daily basis and even though can sometimes come across this confused in your brain hopefully it does all make sense but um the... no, it made sense to me yeah good <laughs> um yeah as far as the, the job hunt goes like yeah it'll be uh it'll be interesting and maybe one day we can we can have a chat again and kind of clue you in on, on how all of that went yeah we'll, we'll revisit it when you are in fact working for bethesda and working yeah. on fallout <laughs> 6 and and uh how everything comes together there uh and as always listeners thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time catch you later That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Trevor's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.